Forgotten Classics, where a good story never goes out of style. Hi everyone, I'm Julie, and here we have episode 257 of Forgotten Classics, where we continue to search for adventure in The People of the Mist by H. Ryder Haggard. Well, wait, we don't have to search anymore. We're surrounded by adventure. (laughs) But (laughs) we'll talk about that in a minute. First, let's do the podcast highlight. And I have been taking you back over some of my favorite podcasts that I have mentioned long ago. This one is kind of a combination of what's new and what's old. You may remember, I used to often mention Mark Douglas Nelson, whose Psy podcast was a favorite of mine. He would read a lot of different books by science fiction authors, put them on his own podcast, a chapter or two at a time, and then later he would collect them all up and put them on LibriVox. Well, he's got a great reading style, and as time went by, you would see more and more mentions of audiobooks that he had been paid for that you could get on Audible or other places like that. And relatively recently, a few months ago, he stopped putting out side podcast. I understood. I was completely bummed (laughs) by the whole thing. And I kind of said, okay, well, good luck to him. And those are all the books we're going to get. Now I was over at LibriVox last week and I was looking through their feed of new books released. And there was something there authored by Andre Norton, read by Mark Nelson. And I thought, well, what? Come on. Sure enough, he has another book out. And so it made me so happy to think that even though he's not maintaining his podcast feed, you can find him on LibriVox. I was then able to go find his reader page on their nice new glossy website. So I'm going to put a link to that. And if you are interested in hearing one of the great readers or somebody I really like a lot, Go over there and listen. And I think I'll also put a link to a post I have of my favorite readers on LibriVox. That one actually is a really popular page. You know, on this blog, I don't put a lot of things that aren't just the podcast. But that one has been linked to in Wikipedia by LibriVox on their page there. So I'll get a lot of people clicking through. So be sure if you go look at it, that you check the comments because every so often I'll update my listing, but people will come through and make comments about other readers that I may not have updated. So you might want to take a look at that too. Now, let's get back to the adventure that we have at hand. No science fiction, but sure enough fantasy. The people of the mist in their lonely mist-covered land far away from anything in Africa that one must struggle through so many hardships to get to. And whoa, you get there, and it is no picnic. As Leonard and Juana and the settlement men and Father Francisco are all discovering. The only one I'm not including in that is Soa, because I think Soa knew the whole time, and she seems to be changing. Yep, she is not the nice old lady we knew. Wait, what? She was never a nice old lady? I know, that's how bad she's getting, right? When last we left our intrepid adventure band, they had just survived 
Juana and Otter, impersonating the gods at the public viewing. Juana laid down the law to the old priest, Nam, and to the people and said, there will be no more human sacrifices. We're going to do things a nicer, gentler way, which the people seemed pretty appreciative of. Nam, much less so. This is a guy we are going to have to keep our eye on, especially when you consider he's Soa's father. And we see what she's like when she's being nice. I don't think Nam is ever nice. And when we stopped, Juana had just finished speaking. So that's where we'll pick it up. Let's dive in, and I'll meet you on the other side. The People of the Mist by H. Ryder Haggard Chapter 24 Olfan Tells of the Rubies It was at this juncture that Francisco recovered his senses. Oh! he gasped, opening his eyes and sitting up. Is it done, and am I dead? No, no, you are alive and safe, answered Leonard. Stay where you are and don't look over the edge or you will feel faint again. Here, take my hand. Now, you brute. And he made energetic motions to the surviving priest, indicating that he must lead them back along the path by which they had come, at the same time tapping his rifle significantly. The man understood and started down the darksome tunnel as though he were glad to go, Leonard holding his robe with one hand, while with the other he pressed the muzzle of the loaded rifle against the back of his neck. Francisco followed, leaning on Leonard's shoulder, for he could not walk alone. As they had come, so they returned. They passed down the steps of stone, which were hollowed out in the body of the Colossus. They traversed the long underground tunnel, and at length, to their intense relief, once more they stood upon the solid ground and in the open air. Now that the moon was up, and the mist which had darkened the night had melted, they could see their whereabouts. They had emerged upon a platform of rock within a bowshot of great gates of the palace, from whence the secret subterranean passage used by the priests was gained, its opening being cunningly hidden among the stonework of the temple. "'I wonder where the others are,' asked Leonard anxiously of Francisco. As he spoke, Juana, wrapped in her dark cloak, appeared, apparently out of the stones of the wall, and with her Otter, the settlement men bearing their dead companion, and a considerable company of priests, among whom, however, Nam was not to be seen. "'Oh, is that you, Leonard?' said Juana in English, and in a voice broken with fear. "'Thank heaven that you are safe!' "'Thank heaven that we are all safe,' he answered. "'Now let us get on.' "'No, we can walk, thank you.' And he waved away the priests who produced the litters from where they had hidden them under the wall. The men fell back, and they walked on. At the gate of the palace a welcome sight met their eyes, for here stood Olfan, and with him at least a hundred captains and soldiers who lifted their spears in salute as they advanced. "'Olfan, hear our bidding,' said Juana. "'Suffer no priest of the snake to enter the palace gates.' We give you command over them, even to death, set guards at every doorway, and to come with us. The ex-king bowed and issued some orders in obedience to which the sullen priests fell back, murmuring, 
Then they all passed the gates, crossed the courtyard, and presently stood in the torch-lit throne room where Juana had slept on the previous night. Here food had been prepared for them by Soa, who looked at them curiously, especially at Leonard and Francisco, as though, indeed, she had never expected to see them again. Hearken, Olfan, said Juana. We have saved your life tonight, and you have sworn fealty to us. Is it not so? It is so, queen, the warrior answered, and I will be faithful to my oath. This heart that but for you had now been cold beats for you alone. The life you give back to me is yours, and for you I live and die. As he spoke, he glanced at her with an expression in which, as it seemed to Juana, human feeling was mixed with supernatural awe. Was it possible, she wondered with a thrill of fear, that this savage king was mingling his worship of the goddess with admiration of the woman? And did he begin to suspect that she was no goddess after all? Time would show, but at least the look in his eyes alarmed her. Fear not, he went on. A thousand men shall guard you night and day. The power of Nam is broken for a while, and now all this company may sleep in peace. It is well, old fun. Tomorrow morning, after we have eaten, we will talk with you again, for we have much to say. Till then, watch. The great man bowed and went, and at last they were alone. Let us eat, said Leonard. What is this, spirit or a very good imitation of it? Well, I never wanted a glass of brandy more in my life. When they had finished their meal, at the request of Leonard, Juana translated all that had been said in the temple, and among her listeners there was none more interested than Soa. "'Say, Soa,' said Leonard when she had finished, "'you did not expect to see us come back alive, did you? Is that why you stayed away?' "'No, Deliverer,' she answered. "'I thought that you would be killed, every one of you, and so it must have come about, had it not been for the shepherdess.' Also, I stayed away because those who have looked upon the snake once do not desire to see him again. Many years ago I was bride to the snake deliverer, and had I not fled, my fate would have been the fate of her who died this night. Well, I do not wonder that you chose to go, said Leonard. Oh, boss, broke in Otter, why did you not shoot that old medicine man as I told you? It would have been easy when you were about it, boss, and now he would have broken like an eggshell thrown from a housetop, and not alive and full of the meat of malice. He is mad with rage and wickedness, and I say that he will kill us all if he can. I rather wish I had, said Leonard, pulling his beard. I thought of it but could not do everything, and on future occasions, Otter, will you remember that your name is Silence? Luckily, these people do not understand you. If they did, you would ruin us all. What is the matter, Soa? Nothing, Deliverer, she answered. Only I was thinking that Nam is my father, and I am glad that you did not shoot him as this black dog who is named a god suggests. "'Of gods I know nothing, you old cow,' answered Otter angrily. "'They are a far-off people, though it seems that I am one of them at any rate among these fools, your kinsmen. 
But of dogs, I can tell you something, and it is that they bite. Yes, and cows toss dogs, said Soa, showing her teeth. Here is another complication, thought Leonard to himself. One day this woman will make friends with her venerable parent and betray us, and then where shall we be? Well, among so many dangers, an extra one does not matter. I must go to bed, said Juana faintly. My head is swimming. I cannot forget those horrors in that giddy place. When I first saw where I was, I nearly fainted and fell, but after a while I grew more used to it. Indeed, while I was speaking to the people, I quite forgot my fear, and the height seemed to exhilarate me. What a sight it was! When all is said and done, it is a grand thing to have lived through such an experience. I wonder if anyone has ever seen its like. You are a marvelous woman, Juana, said Leonard with admiration. We owe our lives to your wit and courage. You see, I was right in insisting on coming with you, she answered somewhat aggressively. For our sakes, yes. For your own, I am not so sure. To tell you the truth, I think we should have done better never to have started on this mad expedition. However, things look a little more promising now, though Nam and his company still have to be reckoned with, and we don't seem much nearer the rubies which are our main object. No, said Juana. They are gone, and we shall be lucky if we do not follow them into the home of that hideous snake. Good night. Francisco said Leonard as he rolled himself up in his blanket. You had a narrow escape tonight. If I had missed my hold. Yes, Altram. It was lucky for me that your arm is strong and your mind quick. Oh, I'm a dreadful coward, and I could see the place now. And he shuddered. Always from a child I have believed I should die by a fall from some height, and tonight I thought my hour had come. At first I did not understand, for I was watching the Senora's face in the moonlight, and to me she looked like an angel. Then I saw, and my senses left me. It was as though hands were stretched up from the blackness to drag me down. Yes, I saw the hands. But you saved me, Outram, though that will not help me, for I shall perish in some such way at last. So be it. It is best that I should die who cannot conquer the evil of my heart. "'Nonsense, my friend,' said Leonard. "'Don't talk like that about dying. "'We can none of us afford to die just at present. "'That is, unless we are obliged to do so. "'Your nerves are upset, and no wonder. "'As for the evil of your heart, "'I wish that most men had as little. "'The world would be better. "'Come, go to sleep. "'You will feel very differently tomorrow.' "'Francisco smiled sadly and shook his head.' Then he knelt and began to say his prayers. The last thing that Leonard saw before his eyes closed in sleep was the rapt, girlish face of the priest, round which the light of the taper fell like an aureole as he knelt muttering prayer after prayer with his pale lips. It was nine o'clock before Leonard awoke next morning, for they had not slept till nearly four, to find Francisco already up, dressed, and, as usual, praying. When Leonard was ready, they adjourned to Juana's room, where breakfast was prepared for them. Here they found Otter, looking somewhat disturbed. Bas, Bas, he said. 
They have come and will not go away. Who? asked Leonard. De woman, Bass, she was given to me to wife and many other women, her servants, with her. There are more than twenty of them outside, Bass, and all of them very big. Now, what shall I do with her, Bass? I came here to serve you and to seek the red stones you desire, and not a woman tall enough to be my grandmother. <laughs> I really don't know, and I don't care, answered Leonard. If you will be a god, you must take the consequences. Only beware, Otter, lock up your tongue, for this woman will teach you to speak her language, and she may be a spy. Yes, boss, I will see to that. Is not my name silence, and shall women make me talk? Me, who have always hated them. But the boss would not like to marry her himself? I am a god, as you say, though it was you who made me one boss, and not I, and my heart is large. I will give her to you, boss. Certainly not, answered Leonard decidedly. See if the breakfast is ready. No, I forgot, you are a god, so climb up into the throne and look the part if you can. As he spoke, Juana came from her room, looking a little pale, and they sat down to breakfast. Before they had finished their meal, Soa announced that Olfan was waiting without. Juana ordered him to be admitted, and presently he entered. Is all well, Olfan? asked Juana. All is well, queen, he answered. Nam and three hundred of his following held council at dawn in the house of the priests yonder. There is much stir and talk in the city, but the hearts of the people are light because their ancient gods have come back to us. "'bringing peace with them.' "'Good,' said Juana. "'Then she began to question him artfully on many things, "'and by degrees they learnt more of the people of the mist. "'It seemed, as Leonard had already guessed, "'that they were a very ancient race, "'having existed for countless generations "'on the same misty upland plains. "'They were not, however, altogether isolated, "'for occasionally they made war with other savage tribes.' but they never intermarried with these tribes, all the captives taken in their wars being offered in sacrifice at the religious festivals. The real governing power in the community was the Society of the Priests of the Snake, who held their office by hereditary tenure, outsiders being admitted to their body only under very exceptional circumstances. The council of this society chose the kings, and when they were weary of one of them, they sacrificed him and chose another, either from among his issue or elsewhere. This being the custom, as may be imagined, the relations between church and state were much strained, but hitherto, as Olfan explained with suppressed rage, the church had been supreme. Indeed, the king for the time being was only its mouthpiece or executive officer, he led the armies, but the superstitions of the people, and even of the soldiers themselves, prevented him from wielding any real power, and unless he chanced to die naturally, his end was nearly always the same, to be sacrificed when the seasons were bad, or Jal was angry. The country was large, but sparsely populated. The fighting men numbered not more than four thousand, of whom about half lived in the great city the rest occupying villages here and there on the mountain slopes. As a rule, the people were monogamous except the priests. It was the custom of sacrifice, 
which kept down the population to its low level, made the power of the priests absolute, and their wealth greater than that of all the other inhabitants of the country put together, for they chose the victims that had offended against Jal or against the mother goddess, and confiscated their possessions to the service of the temple. Thus the great herds of half-wild cattle which the travelers had seen on the plains belonged to the priests, and the priests took a fourth of the produce of every man's field and garden, that is, when they did not take it all, and his life with it. Twice in every year great festivals were held in the temple of Jal, at the beginning of the spring season, and in the autumn after the ingathering of the crops. At each of these festivals many victims were offered in sacrifice, some upon the stone, and some by being hurled into the boiling pool beneath the statue, there to be consumed by the snake, or swept down the secret course of the underground river. The feast celebrated in the spring was sacred to Jal, and that in the autumn to the mother goddess. But there was this difference between them, that at the spring ceremony female victims only were sacrificed to Jal to propitiate him, and to avert his evil influence, while at the autumn celebration males alone were offered up to the mother goddess in gratitude for her gifts of plenty. Also, criminals were occasionally thrown to the snake that his hunger might be satisfied. The priests had other rites, Alphon added, and these they would have an opportunity of witnessing if the spring festival, which should be celebrated on the second day from that date, were held according to custom. It shall not be celebrated, said Juana almost fiercely. Then Leonard, who had hitherto listened in silence, asked a question through Juana. How is it, he said, that Nam and his fellows, being already in absolute power, were so willing to accept the gods Jal and Akka when they appeared in person, seeing that henceforth they must obey, not rule. For two reasons, Lord, Olfan answered. First, because the gods are gods, and their servants know them. And secondly, because Nam has of late stood in danger of losing his authority. Of all the chief priests that have been told of, Nam is the most cruel and the most greedy. For three years he has doubled the tale of sacrifices, and though the people love these sights of death, they murmur, for none know upon whom the knife shall fall. Therefore he was glad to greet the gods come back, since he thought that they would confirm his power and set him higher than he sat before. Now he is astonished, because they proclaim peace and will have none of the sacrifice of men, for Nam does not love such gentle gods. Yet he shall obey them, said Otter, speaking for the first time from the mouth of Juana, who all this while was acting as interpreter, or drink his own medicine, for I myself will sacrifice him to myself. When Juana had translated the dwarf's bloodthirsty threat, Olfon bowed his head meekly and smiled. Clearly the prospect of Nam's removal did not cause him unmixed grief. It was curious to see this stately warrior chief humbling his pride before the misshapen, knob-nosed Kafir. "'Say, Olfon,' asked Leonard, "'who cut from the rock the great statue on which we sat last night?' And what is that reptile we saw when the woman was thrown into the pool of troubled waters? Ask the water-dweller of the water-dweller, the snake of the snake, and the dwarf of his image, answered Olfan, nodding toward Otter. 
How can I, who am but a man, tell of such things, Lord? I only know that the statue was fashioned in the far past, when we who are now but a remnant were a great people. And as for this snake, he has always lived there in his holy place. Our grandfathers' grandfathers knew him, and since that day he has not changed. Interesting fact in natural history, said Leonard. I wish I could get him home alive to the zoological gardens. Then he asked another question. Tell me, Olfan, what became of the red stones yesterday, and of him who offended in offering them to the god yonder? The most of them were cast into the pit of waters, Lord, there to be hidden forever. There were three hide sacks full. Oh, heavens, groaned Leonard when Juana had translated this. Otter, you have something to answer for. But the choicest, went on Olfan, were put in a smaller bag and tied about the neck of the man who had sinned. There were not many, but among them were the largest stones that until yesterday shone in the eyes of the idol, stones blue and red together. Also there was that stone shaped like a human heart, which hitherto has been worn by the high priest on the days of sacrifice, and with it, the image of the dwarf fashioned from a single gem, and that of the water-dweller cut from the great blue stone, and other smaller ones chosen because of their beauty, and also because they have been known for long in the land. For though many of these pebbles are found where the priests dig for them, but few are large and perfect, and the art of shaping them is lost. And what became of the man? Leonard asked, speaking as quietly as he could, for his excitement was great. "'Nay, I do not know,' answered Olfan. "'I only know that he was let down with ropes into the home of the snake, "'and that he gained the holy place, "'for it was told to me that he dragged rope after him, "'perhaps as he fled before the snake. "'Now it was promised to the man "'that when he had laid the bag of stones in the place of the snake, "'for the snake to guard forever, his sins would be purged.' and if it pleased the water-dweller to spare him that he should be drawn up again. Thus Nam spoke to him, but he did not keep his oath, for when the man had entered the cave, he bade those who held the ropes to cast them loose, and I know not what happened to him, but doubtless he is food for the snake. None who look upon that holy place may live to see the sun again. I only hope that the brute did not swallow the rubies as well as their bearer, said Leonard to Juana. Not that there is much chance of our getting them anyway. Then Olfan went, nor did he return until the afternoon, when he announced that Nam and his two principal priests waited without to speak with him. Juana ordered that they should be admitted, and presently they came in. Their air was humble and their heads were bowed, but Leonard saw fury gleaming in their somber eyes, and was not deceived by this mask of humility. "'We come, O ye gods,' said Nam, addressing Juana and Otter, who sat side by side on the throne-like chairs. "'We come to ask your will, for ye have laid down a new law which we do not understand. On the third day from now is the Feast of Jal.' and fifty women are made ready to be offered to Jal that his wrath may be appeased with their blood, and that he may number their spirits among his servants and withhold his anger from the people of the mist, giving them a good season. 
This has been the custom of the land for many a generation, and whenever that custom was broken, then the sun has not shone, nor the corn grown, nor have the cattle and the goats multiplied after their kind. But now, O ye gods, ye have proclaimed a new law, and I, who am yet your servant, come hither to ask your will. How shall the feast go, and what sacrifice shall be offered unto you? The feast shall go thus, answered Juana. Ye shall offer us a sacrifice indeed. To each of us shall ye offer an ox and a goat, and the ox and the goat shall be given to the snake to feed him, but not the flesh of men. Moreover, the feast shall be held at noon and not in the night time. An ox and a goat, to each an ox and a goat, said Nam humbly, but in a voice of bitterest sarcasm. As ye will, so let it be, O ye gentle-hearted gods, and the festival shall be held at noon and not in the night season as of old. As ye will, O ye kind gods, your word is my law, O Akka and O Jal. And bowing to the ground, the aged man withdrew himself, followed by his satellites. That devilish priest makes my flesh creep, said Juana when she had translated his words. Oh, Bas, Bas, echoed Otter. Why did you not shoot him while you might? Now he will surely live to throw us to the snake. As he spoke, Soa advanced from behind the thrones where she had taken refuge when Nam entered. It is not well for a dog who gives himself out as a god to threaten the life of one whom he has tricked, said she meaningfully. Perchance the hour shall come when the true god will avenge himself on the false, and by the hand of his faithful servant whom you would do to death, you base-born dwarf. And before anyone could answer, she left the chamber, casting a malevolent look at Otter as she went. That servant of yours makes my flesh creep, Juana, said Leonard. One thing is clear enough. We must not allow her to overhear any more of our plans. She knows a great deal too much already. I cannot understand what has happened to Soa, said Juana. She seems so changed. You made that remark before, Juana, but for my part I don't think she is changed. The sight of her amiable parent has developed her hidden virtues. That is all. Chapter 25 The Sacrifice After the New Order The third day came, the day of sacrifice after the new order. Nothing particular had happened in the interval. Leonard and Francisco took some walks through the city, guarded by Peter and the settlement men. That was all. They did not see much there, except the exteriors of the houses built of stone and roofed with turves, and the cold stare of curiosity with which they were followed by hundreds of eyes gave them a sense of unrest that effectually checked their efforts at closer examination. Once, indeed, they halted in the marketplace, which was thronged, whereupon all business ceased, and seller, buyer, herdsmen, and presiding priests flocked around staring at them, half in fear and half in curiosity, for they had never seen white men before. This they could not bear, so they returned to the palace. Of course, Otter and Juana, being divine, were not allowed to indulge in such recreations. 
They were gods and must live up to their reputation. For one day, Otter endured it. On the second, in spite of Leonard's warnings, he sought refuge in the Society of the Bridge saga. This was the beginning of evil, for if no man is hero to his valet de chambre, much less can he remain a god for long in the eyes of a curious woman. Here, as in other matters, familiarity breeds contempt. Leonard saw these dangers and spoke seriously to the dwarf on the subject. Still, he could not conceal from himself that putting aside the question of his ennui, which made his conduct natural, at any rate in a savage, Otter's position was a difficult one. So Leonard shrugged his shoulders and consoled himself as best he could with the reflection that at least his wife would teach the dwarf something of her language, which, by the way, he himself was practicing assiduously under the tuition of Juana and Soa. At noon, the party adjourned to the temple, escorted by a bevy of priests and soldiers, for in obedience to Juana's commands, the priest was to be celebrated in the daytime and not at night. As before, the vast amphitheater was crowded with thousands of human beings, but there was a difference in the arrangements. Juana and Otter had declined to occupy their lofty thrones and sat in chairs at the feet of the huge and hideous stone idol, almost on the edge of the pool. Nam alone standing before them, while Leonard, Francisco, and settlement men arranged themselves on either side. The day was cold and miserable, and snow fell from time to time in large flakes from an ashen sky. Presently, Nam addressed the multitude. "'People of the mist!' he cried. "'Ye are gathered here to celebrate the Feast of Jal according to ancient custom.' But the gods have come back to you, as you know, and the gods in their wisdom have changed the custom. Fifty women were prepared for the sacrifice. This morning they rose rejoicing, redeeming that they were destined to the snake. But now their joy is turned to sorrow, since the gods will not accept them, having chosen a new offering for themselves. Let it be brought forward." At his words, lads appeared from behind the idol driving two lean bulls and with them a pair of he-goats. Whether by accident or design, they drove them so unskillfully that the animals blundered hither and thither over the rocky platform till they were finally dispatched with blows from clubs and axes. That is, except one goat, which escaping its pursuers rushed down the amphitheater and scrambled from seat to seat among the audience, uttering a succession of terrified baas. Indeed, the scene was so comic that even the somber and silent people began to laugh, accustomed as they were on these occasions to the hideous and impressive ceremonial of the midnight sacrifice of so many human beings. The ancient feast was a fiasco. This was a fact which could not be concealed. "'Be gone, ye people of the mist!' said Nam presently, pointing to the dead animals. The sacrifice is sacrificed. The feast of Jal is done. May the mother plead with the snake that the sun may shine and fruitfulness bless the land. Now scarcely ten minutes had elapsed since the beginning of the ceremony, which in the ordinary course of events lasted through the greater part of the night for it was the custom to slaughter each victim singly and with appropriate solemnities. 
A murmur of disapprobation rose from the far end of the amphitheater that swelled gradually to a roar. The people had been thankful to accept Juana's message of peace, but brutalized as they were by the continual sight of bloodshed, they were not willing to dispense with their carnivals of human sacrifice. A Roman audience gathered to witness a gladiatorial show, to find themselves treated instead to a donkey race and a cockfight, could scarcely have shown more fury. Bring out the women! Let the victims be offered up to Jal as of old! The multitude yelled in their rage, and ten minutes or more elapsed before they could be quieted. Then Nam addressed them cunningly. People of the mist, he said. The gods have given us a new law, a law of sacrifice of oxen and goats in the place of men and maids, and ye yourselves have welcomed that law. No longer shall the blood of victims flow to Jal beneath the white rays of the moon while the chant of his servants go up to heaven. Nay, henceforth this holy place must be a shambles for the kine. So be it, my children. In my old age I hear the gods speaking in an altered voice, and I obey them. It is nothing to me who am about to die. Yet I tell you, that rather would I myself be stretched upon the ancient stone than see the worship of our forefathers thus turned into a mockery. The sacrifice is sacrificed. Now may the maid intercede with the snake that plenty may bless the land. And he smiled satirically and turned away. Those of the audience who were near enough to hear his words cried them out to the ranks behind, and when all understood there followed a scene of most indescribable tumult. Blood! Give us blood! roared the populace, their fierce faces alight with rage. Shall we be mocked with the sacrifice of goats? Offer up the servants of the false gods. Give us blood. Lead forth the victims. In the midst of this uproar, Juana, clad in her white robes and with the red stone bound upon her brow, rose from her seat to speak. Silence, cried Nam. Hear the voice of Aka. And by degrees the shouting died away and she spoke. Do ye dare thus to offer outrages to the gods? She cried. Be warned, lest we bring death and famine upon you all. Men shall be offered to us no more. I have spoken. For a while there was silence. Then the clamor broke out with redoubled violence, and a portion of the multitude made a rush round the edge of the pool toward the rock platform, which was repelled by the soldiers in a very half-hearted way. Now, said Ulfan, I think that these do well to be going. And he pointed to Leonard, Francisco, and the settlement men. Doubtless the gods can defend themselves, but if the others do not fly, this is sure, that presently they will be torn to pieces. Let us all go, said Juana, whose nerve began to fail her, and suiting the action to the word, she led the way toward the rock tunnel, followed by the others. They were not allowed to reach it unmolested, however, for a number of the crowd, headed, as Leonard noticed, by two priests, forced their way through the cordon of guards and became mixed with the rear of their little party, 
the members of which they threatened and struck at savagely. This happened just as they were entering the mouth of the tunnel, behind the statue where the gloom was great. This tunnel was protected by a door, which, so soon as they thought that all had passed, Olfon and Leonard made haste to close, leaving the mob howling without. Then they pressed on to the palace, which they reached in safety, Olfon remaining behind, however, to watch the movements of the mob. Oh, why would you not suffer them to sacrifice according to their wicked custom, shepherdess? said Otter. What does it matter if they kill each other? So there shall be fewer of them. Now the end of it must be the devils will find us out and murder us. No, no, said Francisco. The senor was right. Let us trust in providence and keep ourselves clean from such iniquity. As he spoke, the roars of wrath in the distance changed to a shout of triumph followed by silence. What is that? said Juana faintly. At this moment, Olfan pushed the curtains aside and entered, and his face was heavy. Speak, Olfan, she said. The people sacrifice as of old, queen, he answered. All of us did not pass the gate. Two of your black servants were mixed up with the crowd and left, and now they offer them to Jal and others with them. Leonard ran to the yard and counted the settlement men, who were huddled together in their fear, staring toward the temple through the bars of the gate. Two were missing. As he returned, he met Olfan coming out. "'Where is he going?' he asked of Juana. "'To guard the gates. He says that he cannot be sure of the soldiers. Is it true about the settlement men?' "'Alas, yes. Two are gone.' She hid her face in her hands and shuddered. Poor creatures, she said presently in a hoarse voice. Why did we ever bring them here? Oh, Leonard, is there no escape from this land of demons? I hope so, he answered. Then added, Come, Juana, do not give way. Things look so bad that they are sure to mend. There is need of it, she sobbed. All that evening and night they watched hourly expecting to be attacked and dragged forth to sacrifice. But no attack was made. Indeed, on the morrow they learnt from Olfan that the people had dispersed after sacrificing about a score of human beings, and that quiet reigned in the city. Now began the most dreadful of their trials, and the longest, for it endured five whole weeks. As has been said, the climate of these vast upland plains, backed by snow-clad mountains, that are the dwelling place of the people of the mist, is cold during the winter months to the verge of severity. But at a certain period of a year, almost invariably within a day or two of the celebration of the Feast of Jal, the mists and frost vanish and warm weather sets in with bright sunshine. This is the season of the sowing of crops, and upon the climactic conditions of the few following weeks depends the yield of the harvest. Should the spring be delayed even a week or two, a short crop would certainly result. But if its arrival is postponed for a month, it means something like a famine during the following winter. For although this people dwell on highlands, they cultivate the same sorts of grain which are common in these latitudes— namely maize and sundry varieties of kaffir corn, having no knowledge of wheat and the other hardy cereals. 
Therefore it is all important to them that the corn should have a fair start, for if the autumn frosts catch it before it is fit to harvest, the great portion of the crop turns black and is rendered useless. These agricultural details had no small bearing upon the fate of our adventurers. The Feast of Jal was celebrated in order to secure a good seed bed and springing time for the grain. Juana and Otter had abolished the hideous ceremonies of that feast, and the people of the mist watched for the results with a gloomy and superstitious eye. If the season proved more than ordinarily good, all might go well, but if it chanced to be bad... And, as was to be expected, seeing how much depended upon it, this spring proved the very worst which any living man could remember in that country... Day after day the face of the sun was hidden with mists that only yielded to the bitter winds which blew from the mountains at night, so that when the spring should have been a month old, the temperature was still that of midwinter and the corn would not start at all. Leonard and Juana soon discovered what this meant for them, and never was the aspect of the weather more anxiously scanned than by these two from day to day. In vain. Every morning the blanket of cold mist fell like a cloud, blotting out the background of the mountains, and every night the biting wind swept down upon them from the fields of snow, chilling them to the marrow. This state of things, wretched enough in itself, was only one of many miseries which afflicted them. Otter and Juana were still treated as gods indeed, and considerable respect was shown to Leonard and Francisco, that is, within the walls of the palace. But if, wearied with the monotony of their life, they went out, which they did twice only during these five dreadful weeks, matters were different. Then they found themselves followed by a mob of men, women, and children who glared at them ferociously and cursed them aloud, asking what they had their gods do with the sunshine. On the second occasion, indeed, they were forced to fly for their lives, and after this they gave up making the attempt to walk abroad, and sat in the palace with Juana and Otter, who, of course, never dared leave it. It was a terrible life. There was nothing to do, nothing to read, and only difficulties to think on. The greater part of the day, Leonard and Juana occupied in talking, for practice, in the language of the people of the mist— when their conversation was exhausted, they told each other tales of their adventures in past years, or even invented stories, like children and prisoners. Indeed, they were prisoners, prisoners as they feared under sentence of death. They grew to know each other very well during these five weeks, so well indeed that each could almost guess the other's thoughts. But no tender word ever passed their lips. On this subject, whatever their hearts might feel, their tongues were sealed, and in their curious perversity the chief object of each was to disguise the truth from the other. Moreover, Leonard never for one moment forgot that Juana was his ward, a fact that in itself would have sufficed to cause him to conceal any tender emotions he might have felt toward her. So they lived side by side, lovers at heart, yet talking and acting as brother and sister might, and through it all were still happy after a fashion, because they were together. But Soa was not happy. She felt that her mistress no longer trusted her, and was at no loss to guess the cause. Day by day she stood behind them, like a mummy at an Egyptian feast, 
and watched Leonard with ever-growing jealousy. Francisco, for his part, did not attempt to conceal his fears. He was certain they were about to perish, and sought consolation in the constant practice of religion, which was edifying, but scarcely improved him as a companion. As for Otter, he also believed that the hour of death was nigh, but being a fatalist, this did not trouble him much. On the contrary, in spite of Leonard's remonstrances, he began to live hard, betaking himself freely to the beer-pot. When Leonard remonstrated with him, he turned somewhat sulky. "'Today I am a god, boss,' he answered. "'Tomorrow I may be carrion. While I am a god, let me drink and be merry. All my days also women have cursed me because I am ugly.' but now my wife holds me great and beautiful. What is the good of thinking and looking sad? The end will come soon enough. Already Nam sharpens the knife for our hearts. Come and be merry with me, Bas, if the shepherdess will let you. Do you take me for a pig like yourself? said Leonard angrily. Well, go your way, foolish that you are, but beware of the beer and the spirits. Now you are beginning to know this language, and when you are drunk, you talk. And do you think that there are no spies here? That girl Saga is great niece to Nam, and you are besotted with her. Be careful, lest you bring us all to death. Thither we shall come anyway, so let us laugh before we weep, Bas. Otter replied sullenly. Must I then sit here and do nothing till I die? Leonard shrugged his shoulders and went. He could not blame the dwarf, who, after all, was a savage, and looked at things as a savage would, notwithstanding Francisco's earnest efforts to convert him. He sometimes wished, so deep was his depression, that he also was a savage and could do likewise. But the worst of their trials is still to be told. For the first week the settlement men stayed in the palace— their fears and the rumors that had reached them of the terrible fate of their two lost companions keeping them quiet. By degrees, however, this dread wore off, and one afternoon, wearied with the sameness of their life, they yielded to the solicitations of some men who spoke to them through the bars of the great gate, and went out in a body without obtaining Leonard's permission. That night they returned drunk, at least ten of them dead. The other two were missing." When they were sober again, Leonard questioned them as to the whereabouts of their companions, but they could give him no satisfactory information. They had been into various houses in the city, they said, where the people had plied them with beer, and they remembered nothing more. These two men never reappeared, but the rest of them, now thoroughly frightened, obeyed Leonard's orders and stayed in the palace, although the decoy men still came frequently to the gates and called them. They passed the days in wandering about and drinking to drown their fears, and the nights huddled together for protection from an unseen foe, more terrible and craftier than the leopard of their native rocks. But these precautions were all in vain. One morning, hearing a tumult among them, Leonard went to see what was the matter. Three more of the settlement men were missing. They had vanished in the night. None could say how. Vanished, though the doors were barred and guarded. There, where they had slept, lay their guns and their little possessions, but the men were gone, leaving no trace. 
When he was consulted, Olfan looked very grave, but could throw no light upon the mystery beyond suggesting there were many secret passages in the palace, of which the openings were known only to the priests, and that possibly the men had been let down them. Terrible information enough for people in their position. You know, at one point I was listening to this thinking, the other keeps saying, and now it was their worst time yet, and now it was their worst time yet. Can they all be their worst time yet? And then I heard what was going on and went, oh, golly, he's right. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Their worst time yet. (laughs) You know, really, they're trapped in this ancient land in this huge palace. Now it turns out there are secret passages so people can come and steal you in the middle of the night and sacrifice you to their god. Oh, brother. And they don't have a single ruby to show for it. They're just hoping to get out alive. The best thing coming from this? Oh, well, Leonard and Juana are getting to know each other a lot better. And I guess Francisco's praying a lot, so that's something. Anyway, I love the way this is escalating. This is just so fun. Not for them, of course, but definitely for us. My apologies, by the way, for the dog chewing the bone in the background, but between the gum surgery, which I believe I mentioned before, and dogs chewing bones and various other things, if I waited for all that stuff to go away, we would never get the next episode out. So we're just going ahead. You could just pretend you're sitting here with my adorable little white dog, vigorously enjoying her bone. So back to talking about (laughs) the people of the mist. The other thing I like is that Otter's saying, well, that's it. If I'm going down, I'm going down having a good time. There is something to be said for that, especially if you're a fatalist who knows what his views of the afterlife are. So you've got the contrast between Otter and then Leonard and Juana, who are very sophisticated. But I have a feeling... We really should be right to not trust that girl he's been given for a wife. She didn't seem very nice when the other girl was getting tossed to her death in the first place. And then there's Soa and Nam and the rest of the Motley crew. There is no telling how it's going to get worse next time. Do you want to bet? Is it going to get worse or is something going to change? I bet it gets worse. We're not that far through. I mean, we're about halfway through, a little over halfway. There's a lot of this book left. So, other news. I actually have one piece of other news, which I'm just going to talk about really briefly here, which is that I am going to be going to the Holy Land next year in April. Diana Von Glan has a series on EWTN, which is Eternal Word Television Network. It's a Catholic cable network. And it's called The Faithful Traveler. She has done shows about shrines on the East Coast. She's done a show of going to Israel, so The Faithful Traveler in the Holy Land, which you can actually find on YouTube if you're interested. And then she has done so well with that that she was asked back by the Israeli Tourism Ministry to do a behind-the-scenes series when Pope Francis just went there recently. So you could say she's a bit connected. And she's also really a great person. I have known her for a little while because of her series and because of my Catholic blog, Happy Catholic. 
and she asked if I would like to go on pilgrimage with her next year, and I said, yes, of course I would. So I'm letting you know here in case you're interested. It will be a Catholic group, though, of course, if you don't mind being around a bunch of Catholics, I can't think of anything better than to be with somebody who's a Forgotten Classics listener, right? This is a 10-day tour, and there's the option for a three-day extension to go into Jordan to some special spots there, which it's supposed to be amazing. I myself am pretty excited, as you can imagine. I'll be putting a link at the blog post to where you can find information about the pilgrimage in case you're interested in looking it over. They're still firming up some prices. The dates are pretty much set, which is April 17th to the 26th, I believe. You know, I really should look that up before I say it. But anyway, you can check the link. And never fear, I'll be telling you more later. The one thing I was thinking of, though, if you've been listening to Forgotten Classics for a long time, and you were here when we did Genesis, Robert Alter's translation of Genesis, would that not be fun to go together and see the place where a lot of this happened? I think that would be great. So think about it. I feel kind of funny telling the priest who's going with us. Oh, by the way, Father Dave. Yeah, yeah. I Oh, yeah, Jesus was there. Uh-huh, uh-huh, right? That's super good. I'm very excited, and I will be. But how about Genesis? Where's the Genesis connection? That's my other favorite book. Anyway, that was cracking myself up, so I just thought I'd share that. And for the rest of it, it is summer. I'm liking driving around Dallas right now because it's not very hot. Thank goodness. That'll happen in a week or two. But school is out, so I'm not having to slow down for the school zones. And every time I realize it's because school is out, I'm pretty danged excited because it feels like it's summer for me, too. It's a small thing. But you know what? Life is made up of small things, and that's my small thing for the moment. That and the fact that we have dance class tonight. I will be doing... Well, I don't know what I'll be doing. We're going to learn some new ones. And we've been in it, Tom and I, long enough that we're now starting to repeat things. But we feel like we need to repeat things. We're just not instant, natural dancers. But we are starting to get to the point where we're having fun with it. So, I'm going to go waltzing off. Oh, and we are going to do the waltz into the distance. I did want to mention, before I twirl away, if you want to contact me about anything, you can email me at julie at glyphnet.com. That's G-L-Y-P-H-N-E-T dot com. Or you can leave a review at iTunes if you like. I always like, but you know, it's not necessary. And the blog for the podcast is hcforgottenclassics.blogspot.com. So, you have three ways to get a hold of me. Thank you so much for coming by, because you know I love reading this out loud and talking to you about all this. Have a great week, and I will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.